Sam. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thank you, Steve. What a Steve has become a wonderful friend. There are some southern people in our audience, okay, who've come to Brookside. And so they're saying to me after first service, Steve, that was the best sermon. Say so they, they, Southern, you know, to, just so you know that, right? Okay. Right. I'm really from Boston. No, I'm, no, no. I'm from South Missouri, and I don't know where I picked up this South Missouri brogue, but it's, it's there. So, Steve, you're a wonderful friend and a great leader. I'm so impressed. I love your church. Uh, not just the facilities, that's a very impressive, but I love the spirit of your church. Just as uh, Charlene, my wife, has mentioned a while ago, she said, there's a wonderful spirit here in the church. And it takes a leader to accomplish and bring you where you are today. So a big, big thank you to Steve for his leadership here over these years. And that is wonderful, Steve. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, uh, greetings from Willow Creek. And uh, we're so glad that you're a part of the Willow Creek Association and glad that you host the Leadership Summit. And that makes a tremendous impact on raising up leaders around the world. So... Well, it's Christmas time. We're all thinking about giving and that kind of thing. How many of you have all of your Christmas shopping done? No more shopping to do? Let's see your hands. Some of you are in big trouble. I can see right now. How many of you really enjoy going? You kind of, in, on purpose, put off shopping until Christmas Eve. How, some, how many of you can plan on going Christmas shopping on Christmas Eve? I do not understand you any whatsoever <laughs> that you'd do that. So, well, let me ask you a question. Why, why try to develop a generous family? Why do that? Why do that? Why don't you just be selfish? Uh, why don't you get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can? I mean, why... <laughs> Why try to develop a generous family? Why would you teach your children to share? Why would you teach that? Why, why is that so important? Let me give you a couple of reasons why I am so firmly convinced how vital this is in a family. First of all, is our human condition is bent towards selfishness. It's a subtle enemy in the family. I can assure you this, if you can some way take all the selfishness out of your family, there would, there would be the solutions to most every problem that you face, and very few would ever go to the divorce court. If you some way could just get rid of all of the selfishness, but it's a human condition. That's the way we come into the world. Uh, we have four grandsons, and probably the one that's most excited about Christmas is our four-year-old. His name Crosby. Now, you tell me, do you think Crosby is thinking, what can I get for Grandpa for Christmas? <laughs> Never entered his mind. What is he thinking? What is Grandpa going to get me for Christmas? See, that's the human condition. We come into the world bent on that kind of, uh, that kind of condition. And so we're very, very selfish in, in our drive. And so we have to, we have to begin teaching uh, to get out of that selfish condition. Let me say it again. I've found in working with families over the years, 
that one of the greatest enemies, and it's sort of a subtle one, one of the greatest enemies in family relationships is this whole uh, selfish bent that we have. It's a human condition. The second reason why I think it's so very important is that that's the way to happiness is learning generosity. You know, look in Acts chapter 20, if you would. It says here, our master said, you're far happier giving than getting. Does the name Scrooge sound like happiness to you? I was raised down by Branson, Missouri, and we many times over Christmas we go to Silver Dollar City, and they have a marvelous production of the Christmas Carol. I don't know if any of you have been there or not, but it is done so very well. But I'm always reminded how Scrooge is such a miserable guy until he learns what? Generosity generosity it's amazing the spirit that begins to happen in your family and your relationship when you have that kind of generosity that begins to develop so the question is how do then how do we if that's so important how do we develop that in our family how do you develop that in your family where would you turn in the bible to find a good scriptural lesson on how to develop generosity in a family one place i think would be from a man that had everything. He had more than he could ever spend. He had more. He was the richest man in all the world. He was the wisest man in all the world at that time. And his name was Solomon. And I'd like for you to take your Bible and turn to a book that was sort of a journal that he kept. It's Ecclesiastes. It was sort of a maddening time in his life, really. He was trying to sort through the purpose of life. Why am I here? And why do I have all this? How do I put all this together? And I want us to start with, with Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I'm starting with verse 10. We're just going to work down through those, le- those verses. And I think those verses will be challenges. I want to give you six challenges this morning. Six challenges on how you develop this kind of generosity in your family that breaks the back of self-centeredness and puts happiness and joy in your family. The first challenge is this is deal with the reality of greed in your family. It's there. It's there. That is a reality because that's a human condition. Look at verse 10. Those who love money will never have enough. Question. Do you love money? Do you love money? What's wrong with loving money? Is there anything wrong with it? Is there anything wrong with it? If somebody say, or if your kids say, why don't I love money? It looks like you do, mom and dad. Why shouldn't I love money? Let me give you three cautions of, he said here, that those who love money will never have enough. One reason to be cautious with the love of money is that it will never satisfy. You can never get enough. Greed, there's no way you ever satisfy greed. When I was in college, I worked for Fadler's Produce Company. And it was a tough job, didn't get paid that much. But I remember getting my first raise. I looked at that check. I could hardly wait to get home and tell my wife I'd gotten a raise. And when I looked at that check, I still remember, I looked at that and I thought, how could anyone ever want more than that? (laughs) I soon found out. (laughs) Because... You never, 
get enough. That's the caution there. And if you don't watch out, that'll become intoxicating to your family and it will drive you. It will drive you. It will drive you. So uh, the greed, watch out because uh, you have to deal with that. That is a human condition there. Another reason, not only it can never be satisfied, but whatever you love, and you love something. In America, I think most loved thing is themselves, probably. Whatever you love. By the way, what did Jesus say the greatest commandment is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's first. Second is like it, your neighbor is yourself. He said, that's most important. Why? Because whatever you love, it begins to fashion and direct and mold your life. And your family is no longer what molds and fashions your life. God is no longer what molds and fashions your life. It is stuff. It is stuff. Ron Blue said something I remember reading years ago in his book called Mastering Money. And he said something very interesting. He said, every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Do you believe that? I've come to thoroughly believe that. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Why don't you say that with me? Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. That's good to keep in mind while you're Christmas shopping. Even if it's going in and buying a soda when you fill up your gas tank. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. One of the things that Dad taught me when I was just a young boy, I'm so very grateful for it. It's, it's been so beneficial for me. He taught me the first allowance that I got. He taught me the 10-10-80 plan. Do you know what a 10-10-80 plan is? The first 10% goes where? You pay who? God. The second 10%, who do you pay? Yourself. Put it in savings. Let me tell you, if you do that over a long period of time, over all of your life, you'll be amazed at the results. And then 80%, you manage knowing that it is God's and you manage it. I cannot begin to tell you what that lesson and, it's and Dad's teaching, how that has so benefited my life. Now, one other thing in verse 10, I want you to say, how's, look at it. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. It's amazing how that it, it will not bring true happiness. Even though you may have heard this at Christmas time. And some of your children may have said this. You know, you say, what do you want for Christmas? And they'll say, oh, if I, go, if I will just get this for Christmas, I'll never ask for anything else in my life. <laughs> have you ever heard that line? We heard that from our son when he was six years old. He wanted a dog. I think every boy wants a dog, you know. And he wanted a dog. And, and so we hesitated on that and tried to talk him out of it and all the work and response. No, he, and he finally came and said, oh, if you'll please just get me the dog, I'll never ask for anything else in all my life. How long do you think that lasted? <laughs> See, it never lasts, not just for kids. You know, this summer I bought, I had a 3G uh, iPhone. I got a 4G iPhone. 
And I, I love the 4G iPhone until the 4GS came out. <laughs> and my son has gotten a 4GS. Well, when I'm around him now, I'm, no long, I'm not happy with my 4G anymore. I want the 4GS. And he'll call and say, you know, his phone does this or this. Oh, I can't do that on mine, you know. We're going there at Christmas. He better keep his eye on his 4GS. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? He says here, I observe to think that wealth brings true happiness. It's so fleeting. And do you want to spend the rest of your life in your family chasing, chasing that stuff rather than letting some way uh, all that selfishness be replaced by generosity? Second challenge is this. Guard against providing too much for your family. Verse 11. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Isn't that true? That's in the Bible. The more you have, the more you'll have people that will come to help you spend it. How much is enough for your children? I, I tell you what, I grapple with that. I grapple with that. Uh, especially this year we're thinking about it, you know, with our grandkids. And, and let me go back to Crosby again, four years old, because he's the one that seems to be most excited about Christmas. What do you get a kid like that? We go into his room you can hardly walk for all the toys. I mean, it's, and you open a closet, you better watch out or you get bombarded by all the toys. What do you get? What do you get a child like that? When, do you, when is enough? Do you expect to bring a thrill that will just keep going? What do you teach children at that point? I'll tell you one thing that we're doing this year for Crosby, for you, because we think, I talked, his mom and dad, and I think he's old enough to understand. Uh, one of the gifts we're giving him is the opportunity to go online with his mom and dad and pick out a child in some uh, remote part of the world that is in deep poverty through uh, Compassion International. And he's going to pick out another four-year-old somewhere in the world that we'll sponsor and he'll be sponsored under his name. He'll have the correspondence with him. I want him to begin to relate to some people that he understands how much he has and how much others do not have. And I'm hoping that some way that this gift for him will teach him a great lesson, but it will, will also touch some child in a remote part of the world. And that some way out of that, that God might use that. Uh, so, because we're wrestling with this, is how much is too much? Now, I, my wife, she was here last hour, so she's not in here this hour, and you don't tell her. But she is a, she is a sucker for this stuff, you know? Uh, she'll be in the store, and she'll, oh, Crosby like that, Crosby like that, oh, Christian, that's the other grandchild, oh, Christian like this. And, you know, she just goes crazy, you know? You understand that, don't you? The question is, how much is enough? How much is enough? I don't, know how to I don't know how to answer that. That's something you have to deal with, except I just know that that is a crucial part of having a good happiness and, and, and contentment in family. Look at verse 11 again. Uh, 
what is the advantage of wealth except perhaps to watch it run through your fingers? Have you ever noticed how money slips through your fingers? How do you deal with that? Let me give you a solution for that. It's a word that most people don't like. I didn't like it when I first started on it either. It starts with a B. Budget. Say it. Budget. Say it with a smile on your face. Budget. Not budget. 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 <laughs> early, early in our marriage, we got on a budget. And one of the first things you do when you start getting on a budget, you track everything you spend to see where it goes. That's an eye-opening experience right there. Have you ever done that? Save all your seats. I mean, if, even if you go in and get a Coke at, uh, when you fill up with gas uh, or, or candy bar, whatever you get, save a receipt and tally all that up. Have you, ever, have you ever tallied how much you spent on Coke for a year? See, most of us don't know where our money's going. And that was the first, that was the first part of this whole business of, of guarding against providing too much for a family is just get a good feel for uh, what, where it was going. And so we, the thing that we deal with today that is so very easy is uh, credit cards. How many, the average family today, how many credit cards the average family in America have right now? About nine. And I just looked all this up on the web this week because it continues to change. Um, and the unpaid balance for families across America is over $7,000. Do you know how long it, pay, it takes to pay off $7,000 if you just pay the minimum? Over 30 years. Now I'm coming back to see this, 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 this monster of self-centeredness and drive where it will put you as a family and, and the stress that it will put on your family. You know, uh, we did for years a weekend retreat, a family weekend retreat over Memorial Day weekend down at the Lake of the Ozarks with our church. And I did a seminar for a number of years on stress. And the first question I'd ask them is, what is the biggest, what is the greatest stressor in your life? And what did they always say? Exactly. Doesn't have to be that way. The big budget will solve all that for you. And you're not driven. And see, that puts a lot of stress on your family. A lot of stress that you don't need to be dealing with. And for most people, not just at our church there, but most people across America, that would also be true as a tremendous, tremendous stressor. Uh, number three, guard against stuff ruling your family's life. Look at verse 12. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much. Uh, my parents and Charlene's parents taught us a high work ethic. And so we love to work. We enjoy, I enjoy working. And when I finished my work at Pleasant Valley, uh, people say, well, what are you going to do? On they said I was retired. I said, no, I'm not retiring. I'm retreading and redirecting and I'm ready to go again. And that's when Bill Hybels called and said, hey, why don't you come up to Pleasant Valley or to Willow Creek and we'll put you to work. I said, great, I'd love to work someplace. How do you feel about work? 
How much time is spent at work? And if you don't enjoy that, you're throwing a lot of life away. Do you know that? If you don't enjoy working. And one of the greatest lessons you can teach your children is the joy of working. My dad drilled that into me, and I'm so very grateful for that because I have not wasted, I look back with no regret on my work because I enjoyed it. I had to watch out to enjoy, not to enjoy it too much, but I enjoyed it. And that's what he's saying here, is that uh, it's giving your life away, giving your life away to where you're working. And that, in some way when you do that, it's not a selfishness that it's only for a paycheck. Now you're being fulfilled and there's a joy in that. It's a great way to live. And then when you come home for work, you're not kicking the dog and the cat and everything else because you enjoy working. See the difference? It's a huge, huge adjustment in the, in the family. Look in verse 12 one more time. Is but the rich are always worrying and seldom get a good night's sleep. Question. Are you rich? Are you rich? Do your kids think you are rich? Do you think you are rich? Well, the quick answer is, according to what standard, according to the world standard, all of us are very rich. Even if you're below the poverty line in America, you are still very, very rich. Very rich. Now, how do you help children see that? You know, I have a good friend that this summer went on a mission. He's gone on a number of mission trips, and he takes children, his children with him. Uh, his youngest child is in middle school right now, and he took Lindsay on the mission trip with him. They went to Haiti. And he said, Lindsay cried the first three days she was there. She had never, ever seen poverty like that. I would encourage you, when your children get around, you know, you, you can determine what age, but somewhere around maybe middle school, junior high, whatever, take them on a mission trip and let them see how rich they really are. It is so beneficial. It's a great lesson, great lesson. And it, here again, begins to take away a little bit of that self-centeredness, that selfishness that is a human condition, and it begins to take it away. It says there that riches always cause you to worry. That's true. I can remember, uh, I don't know if you've ever had a new automobile or not. Do you remember the first new automobile that perhaps you had? I can remember it. I was miserable. Because I'd park way out, so I didn't want anybody to ding the door. And don't you dare get into this car with food or drinks. Could I enjoy that car? Not until it got a ding or two and soiled and then whoop, get in there and I'm off I'd go, you know. Understand what it is, you know. We have and we worry. And you begin to take that away with a generous heart. And you begin to enjoy all that you have. Number four challenge is this. How much is enough for your family? And again, I'm, I'm telling you some of the struggles that I have in my own life. 
I struggle with that one. Look in verse 13. It says, there's another serious problem I've seen in the world. Riches are sometimes hoarded to the harm of the saver. See, when I started with the 10, 10, 80 plan, it wasn't long until I began to have to make some adjustments on, okay, should some more of this 80 go into the first 10? So it's 15 and it's 20. How, how do I make those decisions? We can't be legalistic on this. But it's a very personal thing between you and the Lord on how much is enough. I had a good friend of mine that we were having lunch uh, just a few weeks ago. And we were, he just retired. He's a psychologist and just re retired. He'd worked long and hard. I mean long hours and he'd worked hard over the years. And he got a vulnerable moment. I was kind of surprised he, that he said, he said, you know, what drove me to work so hard and so long was the fear of poverty. And him being a psychologist, he said, one of the greatest fears that drives us in a negative way is the fear of poverty. And he's very wealthy. But there's always the fear, is this enough? Is this enough? Is this the question you have to deal with is how much is enough for your family? I wish I could answer that, but I can't. But I can say that when you get that settled, it will bring a great peace of mind into your life and into your family because you know, and a budget will help you do that. Number five challenge is avoid family fights over what you leave behind. I don't know how many families I've been involved with that lose a loved one and there's a great big fight breaks out. But what look what it says here in verse 15. We all come into the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day that we were born. We can't take our riches with us. We know that. But here's the wonderful thing that I learned years ago is that you know you can't take it with you. But I'm going to talk to Grandma and Grandpa for a moment. You can determine where it goes. You have a choice of either ways of letting the government do it or you get to do it. And one of the greatest things, when we went on, we finished seminary and went on a trip around the world, and our daughter at that time was only in the first grade, and we left her with my folks, and I got thinking, what if we don't make it back? We were gone for a month and a half on that trip. And uh, so we went to an attorney and worked out all, because I wanted to make sure that everything I had, which wasn't much, but everything I had, we knew where it would go. And we also wanted to make sure that we chose who would take care of our daughter. Have you done those kind of things? Those are the kind of things, if you don't watch out, you'll say, you know, we're going to do that one of these times, and you never get it done. That, is a, that could be one of the greatest, if you've not done that, could be one of the greatest gifts you could ever give to your family is nail that kind of thing down. In fact, it is your responsibility to nail that kind of thing down. Um, number six, learn to enjoy what you have as a family. Now, don't we'll go on by that too quick. Learn to enjoy what you have as a family. Many times we want to enjoy what we try to enjoy what we don't have yet, and then we're just we're always we're never content. Enjoy what you have. Look in verse 19. 
And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. That indeed is a gift of God. Do you enjoy what you do? And do you enjoy what you have? How do you do that? Let me tell you a practice I've been doing for some years and I find it so beneficial to me in my time alone with God each morning. Sometimes I will take as much as 15 minutes and just begin to give God thanks. And I'll list everything I can think of. I'll go back as early as I can in my childhood and just begin to give God thanks. You know what I've discovered? The more thankful I am, the happier I am. The more thankful I am, I begin to enjoy. It some, it some way releases me to enjoy what I have and not be imprisoned by a self-centeredness of what I don't have. And you have to work hard because of the human condition. You have to work hard for that not to grab a hold of you and thankfulness will release you to not live with regrets. Look in, in verse 20. It says, people who do this, all these things that he's been talking about, people who do this rarely look with sorrow on the past. For God has given them reason for joy. I hope some way in, our, in this message and leaving today, that you live a life of no regret. I love teaching uh, and, and working with secret group and people that were not Christians. I wouldn't let anybody come to the group except non-believers. And one man, he was well up into his 60s. And I remember uh, dealing some time with Bob. And finally, Bob crossed the line of faith and became a Christian. And it was... He's still just as, as thrilled about that personal relationship with Jesus. But he's dealing with regret. I don't know how many times Bob would come up to him and he said, I need help, I need help, because hardly any of his family will talk to him anymore. He, uh, he's got a lot of regrets because, one, he never, he never taught them anything about Jesus. He's, he's fairly well off. He taught them how to make money, taught them all of those kind of things. But then that didn't build relationships. And so he lives a lot of regret because he did not take time to enjoy his family. And he has regrets. He did not build his family around a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he has a lot of regrets. He didn't use his finances the way he should, and he's trying to be real generous now. And I keep telling Bob, Bob, it's not too late to have a heart and, and uh, deal with your family with open doors if they'll let you in at all. But he's living with regret. You don't need to do that. You can live differently than that. Let me tell you about Dan. Uh, in fact, let me just read you Dan's story. He says, once when I was a teenager, my father and I were standing in line to buy tickets for the circus. Finally, there was only one family between us and the ticket counter. This family made a big impression on me. There was eight children and all probably under the age of 12. You could tell that they didn't have much money. Their clothes were not expensive, but they were clean. 
The children were well behaved and all of them standing in line two by two holding their parents' hands and they were excitedly jabbering about the clowns and the elephants and other acts that they would see that night at the circus. One could sense that they had never been to a circus before. It promised to be the highlight of their lives and the father and mother were at the head of the, of the, of the family standing there proud as they could be. The mother was holding her husband's hand, looking at him like she was saying, you're my knight in shining armor. And he was smiling back at her as if to say, you got that right. <laughs> the ticket lady asked, my fa- asked the father, how many tickets would you want? And he so proudly responded, says, let me buy eight children's tickets and two adult tickets so I can take my family to the circus. The ticket lady quoted the price, The man's wife let go of his hand, her head dropped, and the man's lip began to quiver. The father learned that it was costing more and he didn't have enough money. How could he tell his family that he couldn't buy the tickets? The ticket lady, he leaned up and said, how much did you say? The ticket lady again quoted the price. Since the man didn't have enough money, they turned. And I suppose he uh, was going to try to tell the eight kids that they didn't have enough money to go to the circus. Seeing what was going on, my dad put his hand in his pocket pulled out a $20 bill and dropped it on the ground. Now we were not wealthy by any means. But my father reached down, picked up the bill, tapped the man on the shoulder and said, excuse me, sir, this fell out of your pocket. The man knew what was going on. He wasn't begging for a handout, but certainly appreciated the help in a desperate heartbreaking, embarrassing situation. He looked straight in my dad's eyes, took my dad's hand in both of his, squeezed tightly as he held that $20 bill in his hands. And his lip was still quivering and tears streaming down his cheeks. And he replied, thank you, thank you, thank you, sir. This really means a lot to me and my family. My father and I went back to our car and drove home. We did not go to the circus that night. But we did not go without. What kind of lesson do you think Dan received from that? Do you think his dad ever looked back on that with regret? Oh, I regret we didn't go to the circus. Do you think Dan looked at that? I regret we didn't get to go to the circus. What a tremendous lesson to break the back of self-centers. Let me say it again. One of the most subtle enemies to your family today is selfishness. It just is. That's what makes you quarrel and fight. You want your way. It's what makes uh, people at Walmart on Black Friday use pepper spray and 
cause 20 to be injured. It's that selfishness on the inside of us that cause us to do crazy things to our family. Or it's a matter of the heart, see, that you've been talking about. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of breaking the back of that self-centeredness. And one way to do that is develop a heart of generosity. It might start by giving your life to Jesus if you've never done that. Say, here I am, Lord. I want you to change my heart. I want you to come in and forgive me. Start making me the kind of person you want me to be. Want me to be. be the best Christmas you've ever had in your life. And what a gift to give that to the Lord. Let me pray with you. Oh, Lord, I'm so very grateful for your willingness to give your very son. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. I'm so grateful for that. And I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my mom and dad and for the lessons they taught me. I've lived long enough to know that a subtle enemy that has always been there lurking at the edge of my life is this selfishness. And I know what it'll do to me. I know it'll cause me to act in the ways I don't want to act. I know it'll cause me to get drawn into things and, 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 and be controlled by things I don't want to control me. I pray that you'll help me to be generous and teach my children and grandchildren that. I'm praying that every person here this morning will leave with a determination to follow these challenges from Ecclesiastes and not live a life of regret, but live with generosity. In Jesus' name, amen.